Well, this has been an eventful week. Um, uh, and uh, in no way is it a, a complaint or critique, but it feels very full um, to the point where it feels tiring. Um, and it's not just because you watch things on the news that are draining uh, or, or have, have events going on in the world. Um, for us, just within Mission Hills, there's something that we, uh, over the last couple of months, actually, um, Kathy Pavlovich has been sharing about her mom, who was uh, fighting a losing battle with stage four uh, breast cancer. And so um, she lost that battle a week ago Friday and um, had a f funeral service that I, um, I got to serve at. And, and that was just a privilege. And it's been so fun to be a part of their family. I've been a part of their <clears throat> Their, their, their marriage, and, and so just when you get to have these intimate places of people's lives, it feels very privileged. It feels very sacred and special, but with that, um, it's also heavy, and so um, here, here's a woman who, uh, you know, just a year ago, she's only 60 years old, right, and um, that, oh, go back, Baron, that's her dad, uh, Robert, and, <clears throat> you know, he's having a hard time. He's she was 60, he's about 61, and just retired a year ago. So you can imagine um, the, the struggle he's dealing with in feeling like, I just wanted to grow old with my wife and be grandparents. They've got five wonderful grandchildren, and so the house right now feels really big and, and really um, cavernous. And so th there's a, there was a real weightiness, heaviness, and yet I felt like God was really a part of that service, and, and um, it was neat when I stood up, um, I was escorted in, and I, and I got up, and I was officiating the funeral, and everyone was sitting out there, and then the, the family was sitting over there, and when I got up to speak, I got to look at several friendly faces who had made the trip up from Austin, from Mission Hills, to support them. And it, it, for me as a pastor, it made me feel like I got a home court advantage because I'm looking at friendly eyes, right? You're not talking to strangers anymore, you're talking to friends. Um, but then there was this moment, I it just felt like I, it was nothing scripted, but I just got to speak um, to, to, to Robert and, and to bless him with some words about how he carried out his vows for 45 years uh, from a, from a, as a dad and a husband. And um, I... It was a special time, but we got to the graveside, and there was this release of, of balloons, and I could tell as we were getting ready, um, he was just struggling at, as, as anyone would, and I just leaned over to him, and I said, you know, it's okay if you don't feel like you're really ready to let go of this balloon, and what I told everyone was, you know, the memorial service, the funeral is the one kind of emotional event that we have to begin the grieving process, to, to begin to let go and know that life can move on. Even though the memory remains, God can heal the memories. And even though uh, it, it feels like loss, um, God is still present. And so as we let go of these pink and white balloons in honor of breast cancer uh, awareness, um, it, it, was a, it was a pretty tender moment. And I looked over and he was, I could t he was just kind of holding on, I, I don't want to let go, right? Because who among us do? Um, especially in this kind of moment. And, and so me being <clears throat> inappropriate, um, I, I just had to take a picture of people's feet, right? Uh, and so there's Kathy and Matt and her dad because over the last couple of months, if not the last few years, uh, I've had the chance to um, walk 
a few miles in their shoes. And I could attach multiple rhythms of how I feel like God has been revealing himself, the heart of the Father coming out through community or, or through profound gratitude. Um, <clears throat> for me, it was renewal. And you think, well, that seems odd, except that even though it's hard, things can be life-giving. So that was on Tuesday. I got home Tuesday night, but then on Thursday night, I made it up to Cedar Park Regional Medical Center for the birth of um, Buddy and Haley Overstreet's third child. And of course, I made them cram into one bed because I needed to get pictures of all of their feet. Uh, and so this is Lewis Wells sitting on Buddy's lap, and um, she came in weighing a whopping eight pounds. Uh, <clears throat> and so it, it was just a joy and a delight, except it's middle of the night. Uh, people had not slept, and um, uh, V and his seven-year-old had just been drinking, I think, Dr. Pepper for, um, he never went back to bed when, when mom took off for the hospital, right? Um, but there was something really beautiful, and so my week was the gamut of, um, of life. And, uh, and, and everything in between. And, and in the middle of that, I, um, I, I agreed to work on an engagement and a marriage coming up. So I've got all of the pastoral elements covered from birth and death and marriage. Uh, it, was a, it was a busy week for my black suit, <laughs> my Marian and Varian suit, as we like to call it. And so this, I believe, is the tension that we live with. This is the tension that we live with when we talk about renewal, but when we talk about the Christian faith, is that when things get hard, it doesn't mean that they're bad. In fact, things can be good, and, and still it means that we struggle. And so uh, the point, I think, when we talk about renewal is sometimes sad, things that are sad and things that are painful and things that are hard still can be good and beautiful and be life-giving. I'd like to think of new life um, like shedding a skin and you having to go through the struggle to be made new, to, to be reborn. And um, the, the word that I had was that as I'm looking at the, at the graveside of um, Kathy and her sister and her dad, I'm saying, you know, you won't always feel this way. It feels really like a huge loss today, and it is. Um, but I believe God will heal the memories of this loss. And so I want to talk a little bit about what God intended for us to renew and yet live in such a broken world. Because it's hard to, to, to sort of come into this place and, and allow yourself to be joyful or allow yourself to be encouraged when there's so much pain and suffering going on around us. And yet God has invited us into that kind of reality in Christ. And so my hope is that just in our gathering tonight, there can be something renewing. Um, or as you take inventory of what your week was like, you can start to maybe connect the dots, sow the seeds, and realize that God was more at work than you might have imagined. So there's a couple of interesting passages that I want to look at from the Old Testament. Um, before we get there, though, let me just make a couple of observations and a couple of statements. I believe that personal renewal means that we're constantly renewing uh, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies for the way that God intended from the beginning. So the question then is, what was it that God intended? Which is a good question. I'm really glad that you asked. And so I would simply say that renewal occurs oftentimes 
when we're giving ourselves on benefit, for the benefit of others. It doesn't feel like, like it's life-giving at times, except that when we give of ourselves to others, I believe there's something extremely sacred and actually life-giving, though we mo might, might grow tired. In fact, I often find people who don't have anything other than themselves to give to are often the most unfulfilled. People who don't have a ministry, people who don't have um, something that they give outside of themselves for their own personal development or personal accumulation are often the ones that are feeling, I think, the least content. Find someone who has a mission, and you find someone who has meaning, but with some ragged edges. So I think that there's something really renewing when we find ourselves giving on benefit of, uh, of others, but I also think that renewal happens when we allow for margins. Um, and when I say allow for margins, um, what I mean is, um, is that it's not simply just living uh, or creating enough time for kind of me time. Um, rather, we're, we, we need a break from the ambition and the adrenaline that we're constantly driving ourselves for. So when we talk about renewal, we're often talking about what it means to sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's a word that we don't particularly enjoy, but it comes from a Latin word. Uh, and the Latin word goes like this. It's sacrum farce, and it simply means to make sacred or holy. Think about that. When we give of ourselves in sacrificial way, what we're doing is living into the God-given design the, the image of God within us. So we became like God in that how he gave himself to us sacrificially. We now give of ourselves. That's why I think there's something renewing when we do that. And then the third simple thing that I would say is renewal happens um, <clears throat> in our confession. And so we need to kind of create a pathway to um, at least release the sort of guilt and the shame and the fear and the pride and the greed that I think entangles us. Now, um, I don't know how many of you are fans or familiar with uh, an Irish poet and speaker and writer by the name of David White. David White has an interesting commentary. He's done lots of audiobooks. Uh, he does a lot of speaking, <clears throat> but he did one called... Um, Midlife in the Great Unknown, and he had this interesting story when he recounted in this really frazzled state, and he'd just been, he's running a nonprofit, and he's going from this to that with all of his ambition and all of his deadlines, and it just sounds like kind of every day of our lives, right? Where it just feels like there's certain things on our list that we just have to get done. Whether you're a student or whether you're a parent or whether you're um, <clears throat> in a corporate position or whether you're self-employed, it just feels like there's just not enough hours in the day. And he was describing this and he finally showed up to a meeting and he says, has anyone seen David? <laughs> and everyone just kind of stopped and then they laughed realizing he was talking because he just felt like he hadn't been himself in so long, but he had just been running so ragged. And after work, he got done with the meeting, he kind of powered through, and he decided he was going to walk home. And as he walked home, he was reflecting on this. He was happened to have dinner that evening with a Benedictine monk, who was a personal friend of his, and as most Benedictines know, you share a good glass of red wine. And as so they opened a glass of wine, it was sort of the first chance in this long day that he could just catch his breath. And he looked at his friend, and he just said, brother, just speak to me about exhaustion. 
Um, to which this Benedictine friend began to say, you know, the anecdote for exhaustion isn't rest. The anecdote for exhaustion is wholeheartedness. How many of us give ourselves in so many directions? We get spread so thin, and it keeps us from giving ourselves wholly or completely to the things that matter most. You're familiar with the concept of the tyranny of the urgent? It's been talked about for years, but it's simply this. The things on our list that are most urgent end up taking most uh, biggest priority uh, or more priority over the things that are most important. And so we end up living our lives for the tyranny of the urgent. And I love the words when he says, the anecdote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. God had this distinct idea about the human condition that he wanted to give us pathways to reorganize, maybe recalibrate our lives so that we can be constantly being made new again and again and again. So pre-Jesus dying on the cross and experiencing the resurrection, the Old Testament gave these very practical tangible, even kind of gross ways, but it was very visceral and very visible ways that the people of God were supposed to be cleansed and made new again and again and again. And so they had a series of festivals, moments, standing appointments with God, if you will. And so turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, or if you have something online, you want to just pull up Leviticus 23. I want to look, I don't want to go through all of Leviticus. I don't know the last message you heard out of Leviticus. It just talks a lot about laws, which feels a little cumbersome, especially when you want to talk about renewal. Who wants to dive into renewal and start with laws, except God had organized a pathway towards being made new. And it started with this kind of confession. Um, and so listen, there's these six different kinds of feasts. So you've heard of Passover. There's the offering of the first fruits. That is, think about a very uh, agrarian society. Most people know agriculture. So you have an offering of first fruits as a way of saying the first 10% of the crops go to the least of these. The first fruits of your harvest are to be dedicated to God for his pleasure, for his good. It's that sacrifice that we make off of the top of our paycheck so that God gets the sacredness the, to make things holy, right? To, that, that's what we just talked about. Um, the third one would be the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Festival of Tabernacles. I don't want to explain all of those tonight. I just want to highlight two of those tonight and talk about, first, the Festival uh, of Trumpets. Now, if I had a trumpet tonight, I would blow it in this jarring reminder. Now, let me just give you the context for this. Imagine with you, uh, with me, they don't have smartphones. They don't have month-at-a-glance calendars hanging on their pantry door. There's nothing in the Hebrew mind that would have a calendaring system. So how do you know when harvest is over other than fruit starts showing up? Or how do you know a month has passed? God is trying to have this fixed time of prayer, this fixed time of worship, and a fixed time of, of, of a standing appointment. So the way you would do this is every month, trumpets would sound. Actually, it was a shofar. But it would be like, well, 
Maybe the closest analogy would be like the Ricola, you know, the cough drops, you know, some guy on a Swiss mountain blowing a big horn, like Ricola, and it's like, but it would be this kind of shofar, this blowing of a trumpet. Now, what that would signify, particularly, and the, 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 the trumpet would go, think about harvest time, it would be kind of a September and October, would be this, this festival uh, of the trumpets. Uh, but let me just read this real quick for you so we, we get the picture. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Do, do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. So in other words, you need to stop your work, have the sacred assembly, and, and gather. So today this this feast would be considered in the Jewish calendar Rosh Hashanah. It would be there, the Hebrew New Year's, uh, again, September through October. Now, this is a weird practice. We're having a sacred assembly, and the command of God is to blow trumpets. Like, really? Like, vuvuzelas? Like, isn't that just for World Cup? Really? Can we not do the? Except that God wanted a jarring reminder like an alarm clock going off and going, oh my gosh, is it morning already? It's this jarring reminder to ask the question, how are you actually living? How has ambition, how has adrenaline, how has anxiety become your modus operandi? How has that become your normal that has crowded out the whisper of God, that has crowded out the prompt of the Holy Spirit? He wanted this jarring reminder to kind of wake the people of God up so that they could refocus. And so there was this festival of trumpets going on. Uh, and, and, and again, it's just a wake-up call. So it was a day of rest because you simply can't renew your heart or have your heart resensitized if you're multitasking. I know that sounds like really confrontational, but we're a people that like to get stuff done. We're a people in need, except there's something about being renewed that we need to be singular in our focus. We need to be wholehearted in our endeavor. And God created this pathway, and he had this original trumpet, the, the festival of trumpets, to interrupt us in our norm and say, wait a second, how are you living? So when the trumpet would sound, it would be an interruption to the pace of life, and a day would be set aside so that we could recalibrate and maybe allow our hearts to be resensitized. Do no other work or none of the normal um, labor that you would, might normally do. I think that's a needed reminder. Now, he goes on to talk about the Day of Atonement, which is the second festival. If you would just flip over a couple of pages to Luke, or excuse me, Leviticus uh, 16, listen to where this gets, uh, I'm just going to skip through a couple of different verses, beginning in verse 3. He says, this is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary. Aaron's servant is the high priest, and he says these words, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Drop down to verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering and to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now he takes those two goats and he, and he casts lots because one of them is going to be sacrificed before the Lord and the other is going to be let free. Why? Well, let's read on uh, <clears throat> a little bit more. Verse 21 and 22 says this. 
um, uh, or, or, uh, verse 20 says, when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and all the rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. This was the original scapegoat. Ever wonder where we get that phrase from? It's because there was a goat that would be sort of the offering where the sins were named and spoken so that we wouldn't carry it around any longer because God wanted us to have free hearts to live full lives to live with a sensitivity not a calloused up heart not an insulated one but one that was free from guilt free from shame free from fear and regret and then it would be sent off now we don't have these same practices today I think that it would actually benefit us if we had something that tangible but God sort of courts us in a more personal way. He gives us the invitation of his Holy Spirit, which I would surmise is sort of that initial hesitation that you might feel. Maybe that kind of check in your spirit. Maybe that prompt. You, it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always feel convenient. But God's, I think, ministering. Now, it's sort of like a frequency. The more we tune it out, I think the harder it is to hear, which is why God wanted our hearts to be resensitized again and again and again. So we have this picture of what it means to be made new. And the picture, if we're taking out our camera phones because we're walking a mile in their shoes, this is actually the picture of what renewal looks like. And the ritual itself isn't actually for God. The ritual is for the people. See, we're the ones in need of a clean slate so that we wouldn't continue to live with a deep sense of guilt or shame or regret. This is the picture, at least in the Old Testament, of what renewal looked like. Now, the New Testament comes along. We have a new covenant in Christ. He comes ushering a new covenant and a new reality so that we're not sacrificing animals the same way. It's a lot cleaner. It's less bloody. Uh, but there's this new way to live into this new reality. And that comes with the table. Christ's body broken for us. Christ's blood shed for us. And so in Matthew chapter 26, this encompasses the whole backdrop of what Jesus was talking about, what he was saying and doing. And he understood our need to check ourselves and how we miss things and move too fast. And so Jesus comes in Matthew 26 and he takes the whole ritual of atonement that we see in the Old Testament and he spins it, and he makes it all about himself. He's the new scapegoat. All the sins go on him, and they're set free. We're set free. It's something, it's not something that they offer, but now it's something that he offers. So this is the biggest difference between the Old and the New Testament, the Old and the New Covenant. And so Jesus comes along in Matthew 26, verse 26, and while they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. See, if anyone understands brokenness, it's the risen Christ, though he's not risen yet. But if there's someone that can relate to what's going on in the broken places of our humanity today, whether it be burying people because they died of cancer, or whether it be walking alongside a brother who's dealing with mental illness and hearing voices, or whether it be our unemployment or our addiction, there's someone that fundamentally understands our brokenness whether it be a stale marriage or, or a prodigal son. Christ relates to our brokenness and he becomes the new scapegoat and he says, this, this bread is, is my body and it's broken for you. And, and to these Hebrews who are well-versed in the Torah, the Old Testament, they would understand he's making reference to this new Passover lamb, this, this new scapegoat, if you will. But then he, he brings out, and he says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so he's now recalibrating what they understood from, okay, God gave us this pathway, but now it's going to be his life. Because ultimately, the sacrifice of an animal wasn't going to atone for the sacrifice of, of, of human sin. Now, the best way to describe atonement would be to make amends or to make restitution. So Christ became our atonement. Some of you have walked through the steps of, uh, you know, a 12-step recovery program. You understand the need or the necessity to make amends. It's the same thing spiritually. And God be sends his son so that we can have this kind of atonement. So I thought, what better way for us to experience renewal than to break bread tonight? And so that's what I want to do tonight, and I want us to consider what renewal looks like. See, sometimes we have to give ourselves in sacrificial ways that feel actually tiresome, but they're really formative. They actually develop something in us. Sometimes we have to kind of create margins just so we can hear the prompt and the voice of the Spirit of God directing, guiding, causing us to be still. Other times we, we need to make ourselves, our lives, an, an offering um, where, where we just give of ourselves um, with the idea that, God, I don't know how this is going to end up, but I want to be used of you. Renewal doesn't always feel um, like you just had an energy drink. Renewal often takes us to deeper places in our spiritual formation. It takes us deeper to our places of dependency on God. It takes us to a place where for the first time, we don't have anything to hold on to except a, a personal relationship with Christ. And so I like to think of renewal as something that becomes very life-giving. And I think whether it be at a funeral or at the birth of a child and going through the pains of labor and the pains of childbirth and the pains of morning sickness and to going, oh, this life just got deeper. Life just got better. It got a little more complicated. It might have got a little more expensive. It got a little harder. They're now going from a man-to-man -man de defense to like a zone defense with three kids, with two parents. I mean, it just got a lot more complicated. 
except that it's a greater opportunity for God to express and to reveal who God is in these moments as it is with us. So I want to pray with you, and then I'm going to have Hal come up, and he's going to lead us through a couple of different prayer and responses in preparation for communion tonight. Let me just outline how this will work. Hal, if you want to come on up and join me, um, we're just going to um, go through a, um, a couple of, um, uh, uh, first a responsive reading and a prayer of examination as you just kind of take inventory of your own heart, and then Theo and Sally are going to come and serve communion, and, and, and as you feel led, when you feel ready, just come up and do, they'll meet you up here and, and offer you communion. You can just return to your seat, and we'll just continue to worship the Lord that way. Let me just pray for us. Father, I pray that you would just um, bring to memory the things that are, um, that need to, maybe need to be confessed, uh, the relationships that just aren't right. Maybe, maybe the attitude or the motive that, that needs to be um, adjusted. I, I just pray that uh, in these times you would do something life-giving, recognizing that what it means to be renewed is to be reminded of our acceptance in you. That our inadequacies don't call into question your love for us. That repentance and renewal mean that we're already accepted by you and you want us to be whole and cleansed and renewed. So would you do that? Would you meet us here tonight in that way?